Prairie Church. Make it a little organized here. Um, last Sunday when Glenn was giving his message, I was thinking, wow, he's just really setting me up for today. And then I was talking to Erica before church when we were going over the slides, and she's like, oh, this is service, this is just my jam, this is just perfect. And then I went over to um, the youth house, and I was with Corey during Sunday school, and uh, the title of the lesson was Jesus, the Servant Messiah. And so sometimes it's just like the Holy Spirit just kind of brings everything all together. Um, you know, you kind of get all these sports analogies. My daughter Carrie was a setter when she played volleyball, so no, she would set the ball, getting ready for that next person. But the one I really came to my mind is if you were ever on a four by four relay, you know, when you're standing there and the person on the first leg is getting ready to hand you that baton and they're going to hand it off to you to continue the race. That's kind of how I feel like that I'm on leg two of this race and. Uh, what I hope and pray is that I don't drop the baton. <laughs> so, Glenn's sermon last week was titled, Bright Lights. He encouraged us to let our light shine for Jesus in the darkness of this world. He encouraged us to live a life that shows the result of our salvation in Jesus. He referenced Matthew 5.16 where it's written, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. One of the ways Glenn shared to light up the darkness is to show sacrificial love with a servant's heart. We are to love in the way of Jesus who took on the role of a servant and told his followers to love each other as he had loved them. Our main scripture text today is going to be found in the book of James. James is a favorite book of the Bible for many, including me, because it gives clear, concise truths and it offers practical teachings on how believers are to live their lives. James gets to the point. He tells it like it is. A little bit of background on James. Um, as probably most of you know, James was the brother of Jesus. They think he may have been like the oldest of Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. And at first, he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in his ministry. He didn't believe in his mission. And in fact, in Mark 7.21, it talks about a time when Jesus' family, and they think probably James, they went to take charge of Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. Later, James changed his mind about Jesus and became a prominent leader in the early church. And he was the leader of the Jerusalem Council. And this council was where Paul and Barnabas reported to when they were facing opposition and dispute. James was martyred for his faith in 62 AD. The book of James is addressed in the beginning, it says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It is believed that James was writing to early Jewish Christians, believers from the Jerusalem church who, after the death of Stephen, were scattered, some far from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
He calls the readers of this letter his brothers 14 times in the book of James. And remember this as we look into these verses. James is writing to and about our relationships with other believers. We are not going to be talking about giving money to people on the street corner, people that we don't know. This is not what's being discussed. We're going to talk about our response to the needs of our brothers and sisters in our own church and to fellow Christians in other churches. We heard this idea in Galatians. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So, I knew if we were going to be talking about good works, we need to go to James. So, turn with me. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. The main point in this section of James is that faith and deeds or works should go hand in hand. He asks, what good is faith if you don't have deeds? James teaches that faith is not just something you say, just something you feel, just something you think, or just something you believe. Faith is something you do. What good is your faith if it doesn't move you to action? Before I go any farther, I want to make it clear. I am not saying that good works can get you to heaven. I'm not saying anybody can gain their salvation by doing good. None of us, no one can ever be good enough to get into heaven. We have to accept Jesus in order to gain our salvation. Paul wrote in Ephesians, It is by grace you have been saved through faith for a life of good works that God has already prepared for us to do. Paul said that we've been saved by by grace through our faith in Jesus and that this salvation is to be shown by a life of good works. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. The work we do won't save us. The work we do is the result of being saved. Deeds are not something extra to be added to our faith. They're a necessary and vital part of living a life of faith. The Living Bible translation of the verse in Ephesians reads, We should spend the lives Christ gave us helping others. Rick Warren says, there's a word for this. Ministry. Every Christian is a minister. Not every Christian is a pastor, but every Christian is a minister. 
That means you use your talents and gifts to make a contribution in life, to be a giver, not a taker. He says phrases such as love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another, and others in this vein can be found 58 times in the Bible. He calls this mutual ministry. When every believer in the family of God ministers to every other believer in the family of God. That's the way God meant for it to be. According to a Gallup poll, 50 million Americans say they are born again. But many of those 50 millions show nothing in their lifestyle to suggest they are Christians. Real faith needs more than just talk. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. A Christian bumper sticker is not a true sign of a believer. James says, show me you are a Christian. Put your money where your mouth is. Walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. Show me by the way you live your life that you are following Jesus. It has been said, faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you sure can see the results. (laughs) You can't see faith, but you can see the results of a faith-driven action. Deeds are not something extra added to faith. They're a necessary, fundamental part of living out a life of faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor who as anti-Nazi stance led to his death and imprisonment and death in a Nazi concentration camp said, faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. In verse 17, James goes as far as to say that faith without works is dead. Dead faith is unprofitable unproductive, useless. The passage we, that Michelle read from Galatians said, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will weep destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. If we sow blessings, we reap blessings. If we ignore suffering, we will reap suffering. In this life, We will reap what we sow and will be judged on how we have lived this life. To make the point that faith without works is dead, Jesus uses the example of a brother or a sister in the faith who doesn't have clothing or enough food. If another believer goes up to them and wishes them well, maybe even says, I'll be praying for you, but doesn't do anything to help them get the food or the clothing they need, what good are they doing? Did they make their brothers or sisters' life better in any tangible way? How are they living out their faith? How are they being a light? If we're being honest, we have probably all been in that situation, failing to act when we saw another Christian in need. Maybe we didn't give money or take food or mow their yard or do their laundry. Maybe we didn't offer a couple hours of our time to an overwhelmed young mother or a stressed out caregiver. Maybe we didn't offer a ride to the doctor or the grocery store or take time to visit or listen or make a call. 
1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Real faith is generous. It wants to give. The book of Acts tells of members of the early church who sold their houses and their lands and gave it to the apostles to be distributed to the needy in the church. That is a powerful example of serving others. 1 John 3.14 says that if we are saved, we will love our brothers. James is calling for us as believers in Jesus to shine our light in the world by showing love to others. Love is a verb. Love shows and takes action. If we sow love, we will reap love. As the song says, they will know we are Christians by our love. If we're thinking that a person has an average lifespan of 71 years, if you sleep eight hours a night, 23 years of that will be spent sleeping. Six years you will spend in your car. You will spend three years of that time eating, 11 years in leisure activities, two years getting dressed, and some days it might be a little more than that. I think I had on like four or five different things this morning, 17 years working. And if you come to church on Sunday morning, let's say for an hour and a half a week, that only equals three months of your entire 71 years. Is three months enough of your life to spend with God and on the things of God? I think James would say a resounding no. James is saying that true saving faith is going to create a desire to do God's work. In last week's sermon, Glenn challenged us to be a light in the darkness. This week, James says we need to show our faith with good deeds to our fellow believers. In 1 Peter 4, which Kevin read earlier, Peter says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering administering God's grace in its various forms. So now taking all of this that we have gleaned, let's look to how we can put this idea into action. Probably like several of you, I um, get the Guidepost magazine. And in this last issue, there was an article about three military wives, wives who are military spouses. And these women met in Washington, D.C. because they were being honored as the military spouse of the year for the respective branches that their husbands served in. And as they were getting acquainted, they all found that they had long admired Giving Tuesday, which is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, where people are encouraged to give financially to organizations that they support. Well, these women decided they felt like the opportunity should be given to open to everyone, regardless of their financial situation. Everyone should be given an opportunity to give. So they formed a organization called Hashtag Giving Tuesday Military, where they encourage people, civilian supporters, everyone, to perform individual acts of kindness. So there was this line in that article that caught my attention. They said, we want people to ask themselves, what are they passionate about and who do they want to serve? So, 
our first question is going to be, what are you passionate about? Now, unlike last week, this is not a trick question. I am not setting you up like Glenn did last week. So there's no right or wrong answer. What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about, and as I thought of this, are you passionate about music? Are you passionate about gardening or sports or quilting, uh, photography, genealogy, baking, biking, travel? If you had a free day to spend any way you wanted, how would you spend it? That might give you a hint of what your passion is. So then the question becomes, how can you turn this passion into an area of service? How can you share God's love through what you are passionate about? If you love to garden, some of you have already done that by sharing your garden produce at our sharing table for others who don't have a garden. Or you may become part of a community garden. Maybe you've made a quilt for the, and donated it to the relief sale. Maybe you love to bake and so you have baked things and taking them, taken it to people in your church. Possibly you could coach a kid's t- sports team. Maybe you've gone on a mission trip. Maybe you sing in the worship team. So, one word of caution. If you say you are most passionate about your job or about your family, these two areas take up the biggest chunks of our time and our focus, and they can leave us feeling like there's nothing left to give to anyone or anything else. We might tell ourselves, well, when things slow down at work, or when my kids are bigger and they aren't as busy and they're out of the house, I'll have more time to volunteer. I can do more at church. Well, it has been my experience that when one time taking part of your life comes to an end, something else comes up to take its place. One big project at work will be followed by another big project. Getting through one stage of life just leads to another equally, if not more, demanding stage. You've probably heard of the term sandwich generation. The people that are have parents and children, and so you are trying to help both of them. You're sandwiched between the two generations. Well, as people are living longer now, there's a new term, the panini generation. Until February, I was in the panini generation. And a friend of mine described the panini generation as you take that sandwich, put it in a panini maker, smash it, and turn on the heat. (laughs) So, if you're in the panini generation, you're taking on more responsibilities because you have aging parents. So you have a responsibility for your aging parents. Your kids still need you. And then you have grandkids. So sometimes in one day, you can serve three generations of your family. So if you are waiting to serve until you're caught up and your life slows down, you're going to be waiting a long time. 
If you find yourselves regularly saying no to service opportunities because your work takes too much of your time or because you're too busy with your kids or your grandkids and all their activities, then take some time to think about where you can make room in your busy life to serve God by serving others in faith. So now you've determined what you're passionate about. We can also ask, what spiritual gifts do you have? Do you know your areas of giftedness? 1 Corinthians 12 lists some of the spiritual gifts believers have. Helping others, administration, teaching. Those are a few. So here's another plug for the spir- our spiritual gift discernments when John Nisley, our LMC bishop, comes. Whether you've come, done spiritual gifts, or not, come again. So I encourage everybody to sign up. Knowing what your spiritual gifts are can be freeing. This knowledge can lead you to areas where serving is easier and more enjoyable. Okay, If you like to sing and enjoy singing, serving, singing on the worship team might be an easy way for you to serve. If you are like, I cannot sing I cannot stand up in front of people, but boy, I know how to cook. So you could find a way to serve doing the cooking. And you can say, I don't have to be part of this worship team to be serving. The work flows more naturally when you're doing your areas of giftedness. This reminded me of our daughter, Carrie. When she went to college, she was an accounting major. She was going to be an accountant. She had decided. So by the first semester of her sophomore year, she realized, I realized, you are not going to be an accountant. It was hard. She struggled. She worked hard. She studied. And then she'd take a test. And she said, Mom, I got a D. So after many teary phone calls, I finally said to her, I went to Champagne and I said, you're going to change your major. So she did. She changed her major to ag leadership education, which was like this natural fit for her. She'd been in FFA. She loved it. She was used to being in front of people, making presentations. So She still had to work, she still had to study hard, but because she had found her place, she thrived in her new classes because they fit her natural abilities. And this led her to jobs that she enjoys and that she's good at. That's how it is when you find the area that's best fitted to your spiritual gifting. It comes more naturally because you are doing what God made you to do. So it takes people with a whole variety of gifts for the work of this church to be completely successful. So, now, question number three. Who do you want to serve? I'm assuming that all of us, because we're believers, the first person we hope to serve is God. So then we have to figure out how can we serve God. You serve him by finding ways to serve the people he places in your path. If you feel like you're passionate about kids and you want to serve kids, then you may decide to get involved with VBS. 
You might teach in the primary department. You might help with youth group. You, maybe a different church has an after-school program and they need volunteers and you might help with that. You might decide, you know, I think we should have a mentoring program. So you might start that. Maybe it's the elderly. Maybe you're someone who got great satisfaction in caring for your parents and you, if they're gone now, you want to care for some others. Well, Community Life has a sign-up sheet on the board. They'd like to start a program called Socializing with Seniors, where you go to visit them. You may be needed to be a prayer warrior for this church and for other churches and other Christians around the world. If you want to serve others around the world, consider supporting our missionaries or getting involved at the relief sale or volunteering at the thrift store. If your health is good and you are able, age, you can still volunteer. Josephine comes every Monday and works at the thrift store. And she's 93, 2, 3 years old. So age, you can't say, I'm too old. God is never done with you until you have passed away. There is always things that you can be doing. Do you feel called to serve your community? As Erica said, some of you have already found ways to do this. You serve at the fire department, you help with community meals, you deliver meals on wheels, you're involved at your kids' school. These are all ways that you share the light of Christ with the world. But James would also encourage you to serve, find ways to serve others in this church, which many of you are doing. One of the strengths of this church is that we help out and support each other when there is a need. GDCC is currently discerning people to serve on various commissions. And we're going to be calling a new ministry team member. And you may be called upon to serve in one of those areas. But know that your service is not dependent upon serving on a commission here at church. You know, only a small percentage of our church membership serves on a commission. That's only one way to serve. So look for other areas of how you can serve and be a part of that. One writer said, we have all been given three T's to share with others in service. Our time, our treasure, our talent. I pray that each of us finds ways to show faith through good deeds and to let God's light shine in our lives. May we find ways to serve God by serving others, and may we find joy in that service. Serving others will bring us rewards, both here on earth and in heaven. Okay, you get fulfillment when you help someone else. Okay, when I hope I can speak for some of the youth who delivered those blessing bags. I hope they felt as good about delivering those as the people who received them felt about getting them. I hope they found joy in that service. Hebrews 6.10 tells us that God will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people. Never feel that what you have done or can do is insignificant. God can use every little thing we do. We may never know what a difference one small act of service can make in someone's lives. 1 Corinthians 1 says, Nothing you do in the Lord's service is ever 
in vain. Nothing you do. May we not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. At the end of our lives, may we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So, let's go forward this week, this month, seeking ways to serve others and spread God's light in this dark world. Would you please stand with me to pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us. You have blessed us with time. You have blessed us with talent. You have blessed us with treasure. Lord, I pray that you move us to use those three things in service to you. As we serve each other in this church, as we serve the people that we come around, Lord, let us follow Jesus' example of serving others. Lead us and guide us as we go throughout this week. May we bring joy to others and receive joy in knowing that we have been giving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and serve. <laughs>